to be a black founder in 2020 is to be... If you'd asked me that question yesterday, you would have had a different response than it would have today. Cautious. An opportunity maker? It's to be noticed, but still not quite understood. There are so many founders of color that are going without. To be a resilient founder. Yes, to be resilient. Definitely mastered resilience. What's up, Unfound Nation? Dan Kihanya here. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Founders Unfound. Those are some of our former guests talking about the Black Founder journey in 2020. For our last episode of the year, we've brought together a handful of founders from our first 20-plus episodes. Thanks to Kayla, Marcus, Kwame, Claudius, Barra, Camille, and Wale for catching us up and reflecting on this historic year that is 2020. Our episode was sponsored by Founders Live a global platform built to inspire, educate, and entertain the modern entrepreneur. Be sure to visit founderslive.com or check for a link in the show notes. There were so many gems from my conversations that I struggled to leave any on the editing room floor. So this will be part one of our updates episode. Part two will come later in December, just in time for your holiday downtime listening. In the meantime, please support us by following and subscribing to our podcast. We are available anywhere you like to listen. If you are inspired, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser.com. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Founders Unfound. Now, on with the episode. Stay safe and hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented backgrounds. I am your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. What a year this has been. For many of us, this will mark a key milestone in our lives. A global pandemic, social unrest and protests around racial injustice, a highly contentious election that divided the U.S. in many ways, some natural disasters and climate events thrown in as well. And to think, the year began with a tragic helicopter accident that took the lives of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, some of her teammates, and their family members. But through it all, day by day, startups and founders struggle, lead, and attempt to thrive. Many have been truly tested this year. It's no different for the entrepreneurs that appeared on Founders Unfound. In many ways, they reflect the triumphs and setbacks of the larger startup ecosystem, with some additional unique stories thrown in as well. Since we started in 2019, we had 25 episodes interviewing 27 founders from 25 companies. Some of the highlights from this incredible group, they currently employ 150-plus full-time employees, along with countless contractors and part-time folks. They have raised $30-plus million in outside funding in 2020. Yes, just in 2020. They've participated in programs like Morgan Stanley's Innovation Lab, Techstars, and the LA Clean Tech Incubator. Many have successfully raised funding on the emerging equity crowdfunding platforms, and they've received a multitude of accolades and media coverage from the likes of Forbes and TechCrunch to Good Morning America. Many have, quote, in their spare time, unquote, participated actively in communities that help other black and brown founders, as well as being leaders in their local communities around the advocacy sparked by the death of George Floyd. At the same time, these founders haven't been immune to the challenges many startups face this year. We've seen co-founder and key team members turn over. We've seen some businesses sunset or go dormant. Many have had to pivot in some way due to the impact of COVID-19, and all have had to deal with the challenge of leading teams in this season of acute stress and uncertainty. The fact that so many of our guests' companies are actually growing and optimistically driving towards 2021 is a testament to the grit and sheer determination that Black founders demonstrate daily. 
We were fortunate enough to catch up with seven of our former guest founders, and their stories continue to inspire and teach us all. We open with some quick updates on what's been happening, beginning with Bara Kola, founder and CEO of Carbice. We interviewed Bara way back in the fall of 2019. You might recall that his company is revolutionizing, no hyperbole there, how electronics keep cool. He's based in Atlanta and is part of the startup ecosystem there, as well as the Georgia Tech innovation community. Bara is also an active voice and leader. Just follow him on Twitter. Here's Bara. A lot's been happening. Probably too much to capture here. You know, we really have been building up to 2020. It was designed from the beginning to be our special year, and it kind of turned special for other reasons, mainly because we've been building to make a big push into high-volume electronic applications. What that means for us is that we've been focusing on maturing our manufacturing, having wins in high-reliability niche markets like space and semiconductor manufacturing. So we did all that. Everything we said we were going to do, we did. And this year in February, we introduced, I call it the strawberry flavor. I tell people we have three flavors of carbice, uh, chocolate, vanilla. Strawberry got introduced in February, which is for power electronics for EVs, servers, graphics chips, and it's been fantastic. I mean, since we introduced that product, we've had two design wins already, record time. So it's been exciting. And we're going to announce, you know, as of the date of this recording, a $15 million fundraise. I've brought on some all-stars onto my team. We got as our business development director, former thermal products lead at Airbus. She opened an office in the UK for us. And then I brought on a new COO, uh, Hal Lasky who was 25 years as the vice president of sales at IBM, then also recently was the uh, executive vice president, chief sales officer at Stats uh, Chip Pack, one of the largest OSATs in the world. Got how to move from Silicon Valley to Atlanta. I told him Atlanta's the new Silicon Valley. We just call it Atlanta. Next, we hear from Camille Terry, co-founder and CEO of Charger Help, a company using technology and workforce development to tackle a major pain point in electric vehicle charging infrastructure, repair, and maintenance. We interviewed South Central LA-based Camille only back in July, but it seems like a long time ago. Camille has been ever-present this year at events, panels, and conferences. So I guess like the three really cool updates we've had is, you know, we brought in about $400,000 and mostly non-dilutive funding. Our app is done. We currently have some customer contracts signed, some revenue in. We're currently in Southern California, and we are currently raising a seed round to help us get into some additional markets next year. We interviewed Wale Ayodele back in May when he was just coming out of the Techstars program. His company, FlickPay, uses cryptocurrency technology to dramatically reduce the timing and increase the efficiency of cross-border payments. FlickPay was our first company based in Nigeria. With FlickPay, things have been um, pretty interesting, right? So we've gone through, you know, lots of product developments. You know, we've put out some products and, you know, we've been able to learn a lot and grow a lot as well. You know, we've been able to release some new products like payouts and, you know, our FX products, which has been making very good numbers, right? So I think we've been able to triple our numbers, right, since the last time we spoke. So let, let's just say we've been processing a couple tens of millions of dollars every month in transaction volume. I think Flipper has really been doing well. And one of the things that have really helped us is the current climate. FX has, you know, been a problem, right? There's been lots of fluctuations in FX prices. So it's been a lot more difficult for businesses to move money. And the banks have really struggled to fill this gap. We're having like lots of businesses literally leave the bank and, you know, come to us to 
solve this problem of moving uh, money across different countries from several different African countries to the US, to UK, even to China and within Africa as well. So right now we offer collections where businesses can, you know, receive payments from their customers from almost anywhere in the world. And, you know, we also enable businesses to send money, B2B payments across um, right now. We support over eight different fiat currencies and we're adding new currencies frequently. And then, of course, we have the FX that we offer to fintechs, um, financial institutions and businesses from different countries as well. We haven't been fundraising um, recently, right? So we've been generating like real momentum from the business. And, you know, our revenues have been very sufficient to sustain our current business and even the, the next phase that we're about to go into. So, I mean, we're very glad to be in such a position right now. Marcus Bullock sat down with us back in May, just before George Floyd. His journey from prison to two-time CEO was unbelievably compelling. His DC-based company, FlickShop, which helps family and friends stay connected to incarcerated loved ones, continues to capture the spotlight. And given how the pandemic has heightened issues around prison reform, he's also been a vocal advocate for the larger challenges as well. You know, what's been interesting, I mean, I'm telling you, this is such a, it's been such an interesting journey for us, especially, you know, walking into a pandemic where we were finishing up a fellowship with Halcyon Incubator. So excited about that. Uh, we were just starting to open up our fundraising round and we closed that up in October. So shout out to all of our amazing investors that came in to be able to help us to be able to grow during this phase with Flickshop. And, 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 and I'll tell you, fundraising during the pandemic is no fun. But we were able to get there. So that was pretty cool. And I think the biggest thing that we've learned along the journey was how important it was going to be to figure out how to demonstrably show real growth and real revenue and then inched a little bit closer toward building out a scalable business. For a long time, we measured our success in impact. And now, obviously, we want to continue to grow in the amount of impact that we're able to spread through the community. Um, We need support. And so the kind of support that we've been able to get has been interesting because not only have we been able to gain support from investors who wanted to see us go take the company a little bit further with um, our product and how we're communicating with our community, but that we're also very sensitive to the needs um, of those people that we service. And I'm so grateful to have so many people on our cap table that, that are mission in line with this this way. We're excited about what the possibilities are about not only building a business that's venture backable, but even more than that, like that's still continuing to stay true to its original mission of driving impact. We interviewed Dr. Kayla Fleming in February, just as COVID-19 was about to hit center stage. The discussion was actually a little eerie, as we were still unaware of the powerful ramifications coronavirus would have. Her company, Smaggy.ai, and her passion for that matter, tackles water scarcity and availability around the globe using machine learning combined with human and machine observation. Here's Kayla. It's been an interesting time. And so the biggest piece that has happened for us is a little bit of a pivot where we are leaning into that monitoring capability to really think about, you know, what does it mean for supporting the long-term maintenance of water infrastructure? And so part of the lessons and learning from the pandemic and in terms of customer needs and where that seemed to be pushing us, we essentially have gotten the opportunity to really double down on that piece. And I think almost deepen and enrich the way that we're able to play within the water space. 
In terms of what we are prioritizing at the moment, we're looking a lot more closely at municipalities and some of the entities that are enablers for them. So for the, the work that we have happening on the ground, there are collaborations with working directly with like a water utility and then, you know, linking up with an entity that might have like a workforce development piece of it. Because ultimately for the kinds of information that's required that will trigger action to now sustain and ensure that reliable service delivery can happen, there is some combination of requiring a data stream, but then also having the action and input from an individual. And so with that thrust, that seems to be a repeatable play that we have you know, been able to create opportunity around. For focus areas, you know, Jamaica is one of the places where we work. And Kenya is also one of the places where we work. So, you know, in terms of building and scaling opportunities in those two areas, we plan to continue doing that. The one supporting, I guess, additional piece of the puzzle that we are also looking at the U.S. part of the story, because ultimately the big focus that we have for water infrastructure is to think about distributed infrastructure that's not grid connected. So outside of the U.S., there are things like rainwater harvesting as well as wells and tanks that come into the core infrastructure that are not connected to the grid, that are a key part of what goes into making water supply work. Finally, we caught up with Kwame Bowler and Claudius Memba from Seattle-based New, the company that provides quality cleans on demand for vacation rental and Airbnb hosts. The team from New was our second ever episode way back in mid-2019. So their update is a little longer to account for the time since we last heard from them. 2019 was actually a really good year for new. We had grown anywhere between 40 to 60% year over year since we started in 2017. And 2019 was definitely our strongest year. We ended the year being accepted into the Techstars Accelerator. We actually also participated in the Convo's 100K pitch that was sponsored by Chameleonaire and got selected as finalists there as well. Yeah, just I definitely want to be real with your audience, Dan. I think Kwame mentioned some of the highlights, uh, lowlights on our end for 2019 is new almost shut down in 2019. We were at a place where we essentially were needing to figure out our cash situation, our cash flows. And fortunate enough, we were able to get into Techstars, which floated us and then allowed us to, to continue on this journey and grow. But yeah, 2019 had its ups and downs for sure. And we had things like that that happened. And we were fortunate enough to kind of catch some lucky breaks that allowed us to continue and grow this business. Yeah, he's actually right. I completely overshot some of those things. We were at a point towards the end of Q3, although we were performing better to where financially we grossed a little bit over 250000 in sales that year, we were still in a position where our burn had not caught up to some of the revenues. And going into the winter season, there were, there were actually some very genuine concerns about what we were going to do on top of other things. Unfortunately, Rulon is no longer actively working on the company. One of the hard things that actually often comes with being a founder is a lot of the sacrifices that you have to make financially, especially with foregoing a more traditional path. And when me and Rowan had first started off and built new, we both had kind of made a commitment and promise to each other to where we expected to be able to close and raise capital uh, within 18 months after leaving our full-time job. Towards the end of 2018, we were desperately looking to raise capital, primarily because we needed to be able to put food on the table. 
And it was an unfortunate circumstance in terms of timing, but we had gotten passed on by Techstars. We had gotten passed on by YC. We had a round that we had raised that had kind of more or less blown up. And at that point in time, he had promised his fiance, now his wife, that, you know, if New was not able to raise funds, then he would have to transition. And so it just got to a point to where responsibly we recognized, he recognized that he needed to take on a full-time job. And once he did, that he was no longer really able to fully commit to new. Yeah. And I, I would just quickly add, we definitely had a team moment to try to figure out what would be the next steps. And it took some time for us to get to an agreement, but i um, happy to say that at the end, everything was amicable. We're still really great friends with Juan, and he's still involved in terms of chatting with us on a regular basis about the business. And obviously, he was a critical part to founding it. So he has a lot of insights and ideas around where things can go. And so we're so grateful for, one, his efforts, but two, that this ended on a, on a really good note and that everyone is still able to, to move forward on a friendly basis. Yeah, the company couldn't have existed without him. And so it's definitely good to recognize both his value and really the sacrifices that he made in order to make this a reality. Hey, everyone. This is Nick Hughes, founder and CEO of Founders Live. We are the global venue for modern entrepreneurs, where we inspire, educate, and entertain entrepreneurs through our global online platform, the community where you can find various aspects of education, help, and inspiration to make you a better entrepreneur, as well as our fun pitch competitions that are virtual and in-person when possible, where we highlight emerging talent from all corners of the world. Join us to help with our pursuit of entrepreneurial equality, which says no matter what you look like, where you are born, how you identify gender or orientation, everyone deserves equal opportunity for success and wealth creation. So find our membership options at founderslive.com. We're back. Nothing has impacted all our guests across the board like the coronavirus pandemic. From startup survival and company trajectory to personal challenges of mental health and loved ones affected, no one has gone unscathed. A challenge noted by several guests was how to motivate, assure, and lead their company in the midst of crisis and uncertainty. Here are Camille, Marcus, Kwame, Bara, and Wale, all discussing team and culture in the time of pandemic. We start with a very personal story from Camille. Earlier this year, actually, I think probably right after I recorded that podcast, my uncle passed and he passed on the same day that it was like a really big meeting where we talked to our stakeholders and past me was definitely trying to push through and just like take the meeting because we got all of these people finally organized. And my co-founder, you know, was just like, it's okay to just be like, we got to cancel this meeting the day of and we'll figure out another date. And I think that COVID has just forced me to just honor the humanity of myself, right? And that like, you know, building something definitely takes a lot of hard work and you do have to sacrifice, but there should definitely be balance in that sacrifice. And so I feel privileged to learn that now, right? Before things starts really taking off for us. And so at the end of the day, I'll always make sure that I am prioritizing like my mental health and myself. So th that's an amazing experience to go through. And like you said, to do it in a way where you can come through and find yourself stronger and, and more aware is pretty amazing. That's a great model for your team too, right? I mean, that's one thing that sometimes entrepreneurs forget is that we, we have people watching us. And even if we're not telling them, go home or don't work so late or make sure that you keep your health in mind, they're watching you and seeing what your cues are. So that's pretty incredible. 
Team's been great. I think as a, yeah, learning how to function together, like we've been doing really well. We've all had a lot of like deaths in our family this year, which has been quite interesting. And then just with the world, <laughs> how it's been, like that's been quite interesting. But I think more than anything, I've been so proud of my team because we're consistently showing up for one another and we've been growing and still um, figuring out a way to like work well together, uh, which is beautiful to see. You know, interestingly enough, before all of this happened, you know, we had an all remote team. You know, I'm based out of here in D.C. and my operations officer, she's out of Boston. My two tech guys, the two engineers that were working on our back end, they were out of Houston. And then my mom, who runs fulfillment, she's out in Maryland. Right. So we were all remote anyway, you know, walking into the pandemic. Now, the interesting thing I think that's happening as a result of our growth is us having to have different kinds of conversations with different team members at different times of the day. And with everybody being in different time zones, like these are some of the things that now are opposed, you know, a different level of, of difficulty. But I, I, I can say that we've been blessed to be able to, to work together cohesively in a way that allows us to be able to move the needle forward. So I'm grateful. We had two team members that, although New pays all of our team well, especially even more with respect to market rates, because they were part-time employees and with the additional unemployment insurance benefits being offered as a direct result of the pandemic, there was a very small difference between what we were compensating them versus what they were earning or able to earn through unemployment. And so that was part of the reason as to why we had initially struggled in gaining some footing because they they just genuinely, in light of everything else that was going on, could be in a position to where they could make more being at home or close to it. And that was a very frustrating conundrum to deal with overall. Yes, we did take the payment protection loan and leveraging those funds from the government, we were able to bring back our team that was for load. So every dime of it was spent on our operations team and bringing them back. And it was unfortunate, but as soon as we brought everyone back in one week, two thirds of our team quit. But as Claudia said, I highlighted, we were able to bring back, reintroduce some new members to the team who have just been as dedicated, if not more dedicated, and have done such a phenomenal job in helping us transition. We are a manufacturing company, so we have a small space to do that in. So we had to change how we do shifts and implement a lot of COVID precautions in our facility. It's been challenging, but I think that one of the things we drive in our culture is just being open and transparent about the challenges and sharing how we're doing. I try to take the lead in that, just letting people know that, you know, sometimes during this, these last six months, you know, I've had some very difficult mental days and it's hard and it's okay. It's okay for it to be hard. People have made sacrifices. I mean, we've had to make sacrifices to maintain because just, you know, we time fundraising for a certain runway we had for the previous round and we got squeezed a bit. We were fortunate to start bringing more revenue in as well, but we had to be conservative. And, you know, some people had to, you know, we took furlough days and things like that. We did it across the team. Everybody went in for that. And the goal was that we would keep everybody, which we, we did. And everybody's back to where they need to be financially at this point. And we actually made a lot of progress. We actually exceeded our goals this year, despite the pandemic. And I really credit the team and his willingness to be flexible. But really, beyond that, just the team's long-term ability to just buy into the vision and be passionate and excited about showing up to work. I mean, we even had, you know, we had one of our key technicians who leads our production process had a medical issue that he needed surgery on. And it got delayed because of the pandemic for several months. And he was in pain. So, I mean, we had to deal with a lot of things like that, just extra stuff.
but we've added a couple of people to the team. So right now we are we're a total of twelve right now in the team, and you know we're still adding more people. So working remote has really been interesting, but you know over the past couple of months we've had time to you know come together and you know work in the office for a couple of days. Most people live like the virus doesn't actually exist, right? So um, a lot of people are not social distancing. People hardly wear masks. I think the major impacts have been like economically, right? Uh, so of course, the COVID has hit the economy. The country is currently in a recession, right, due to COVID. So I mean, that largely been the major effects of COVID, right? Um, in terms of the numbers, this is mostly because of lack of testing. You know, there was never a period of like high numbers in Nigeria. But then as, you know, as an individual, COVID being like a real disaster for the world and just can't wait to see the end of it. COVID-19 and its effects have hit each business in the modern economy, directly or otherwise. In some cases, it actually provided some new or accelerated opportunities. In others, it was devastating, seemingly overnight. Kayla, Barra, and Marcus describe how 2020 and Corona imprinted their core businesses. The way to answer is a little bit tricky. I think ultimately what I'll summarize and say is that, you know, one of the big fears or concerns throughout as the seriousness of the, the pandemic was looming, there was always this question for the areas where we're operating, the level of preparedness and what's it going to mean, you know, if you have this kind of situation and water isn't as available as it needs to be. And like, what, is, what does it all mean? And so ultimately, for the different partners that we work with, you know, the need that they articulated to us and, and what they really seemed to seem to need was, I guess, ultimately, more so it was more support, more insight and more bodies on the ground to understand what they needed to do to to ultimately keep the water flowing. So some of the nature of the details that they needed, I think maybe tweaked a little bit of the requirements, if that even makes sense. So I think in summary, that aspect of it helped to shift a little bit how we were thinking about what to do or how best to be of service to the ecosystem, given you know the kind of information and insight that we have on how different infrastructure pieces are operating. I think that what gave me peace of mind during this is that we have one anchor customer this year where most of our revenue is going to come from them. We're already on seven satellites this year. We had customers that already designed us in. So I, I knew revenue was coming. So what we did to manage concerns in all these conversations about what if this happens, what if that happens, but we had a meeting with the whole company and said, look, here's what we can count on for revenue. We're going to come up with an 18 month plan. We're going to reduce everybody. We're going to cut back on things. And we did that so that we could be in position to last 18 months. I deep down knew that that wouldn't have to happen because the raise was going forward and good things would happen. But by doing that, just doing it up front and letting everybody know this is what we're doing, it gives everybody an opportunity to make a decision. And once people made a decision that you know they're in it to win it, then that at least allowed me to kind of move forward with more confidence. Most of the users are sending them like daily, right? Like it went from like just this novelty thing where they were sending postcards, you know, once a month to now sending them like every other day. And, and to see that level of love and care is awesome and for the company. But what it did was it forced our entire team to say, okay, wait a minute. 
what are people looking for, for from this kind of application, right? Is it just a photo sharing app? Is it the ability to be able to share during very crucial times of their lives, especially as we go into the holiday season? Are children sending them more frequently? What kind of additions to the product do we need to have to make it easier for the multitude of folks who are learning about this kind of technology to be able to get them these postcards into their loved one's hands as quickly as possible. So saying, hey, let's not focus on building even more or more complex technology, but how can we make it as simple as we possibly can and allow it to have as much profound impact for the family members we serve? And in order to be able to do that, we had to learn a lot about our tech development process. We had to think through what the onboarding needs would be for new hires, like our marketing teams, to make sure that we were communicating the right kind of messaging for our our, our families that want to have more resources for you know their, not only their loved one but for the people in there that, that are outside of the gates that want to support them in, in demonstrable ways, right? Like these were things we had to think more about. So we had to develop a blog where we can talk more about some of these issues. We had to increase our advocacy commitments to ensure that we were partnering and collaborating with government officials that wanted to see more reform efforts having. As we think about, you know, the leaders and the, the mayors that are making these kinds of sort of commitments. And now like our Cali got DAs even come in and saying, hey, we have to reform some of these sentencing laws and even bail reform in ways that are impacting the mass amount of people that are going into those cells. Like these kind of collaborations are going to be key. So we've been spending a lot of time working on that as well. Unsexy stuff, but you know, it's the stuff that keeps our entire team excited. Fundraising is a topic that has dominated conversations in the startup world all year. Again, in some cases, startups saw new wind in their sails and closed on financing quickly. But for many though, it was hard, seemingly impossible or just outright unsuccessful. Bar and Kwame offer their perspectives, having each raised this year. What I tell people is that it's already hard enough to raise money for a materials company, doubly hard to raise one for a thermal materials company, and then exponentially harder to raise one for a thermal materials company in the middle of a global pandemic. We started the raise in earnest in the beginning of March. If everybody listening to this remembers, that's when everything kind of hit the fan, so to speak. We had a strategy The strategy was aligned with a particular type of strategic investor in the aerospace that got particularly hit because people stopped using airplanes. So we had to reset our strategy and kind of hopped around a lot. But once we found the right person, then that was kind of key. And I just kind of latched in with this right person and vice versa. You know, he saw the opportunity with us and you know, it wasn't a long walk around the neighborhood, but it was a lot of a lot of Zoom calls and team meetings to get people familiar. But in this case, you know, we were able to close the fundraising virtually like everybody else had to do in this environment. So it was a completely different experience then, completely different experience. But it's it's been a, a nice experience because it's a much bigger round. And, you know, we were able to bring in both financial and strategics together in the round. And so outside of New Stack Ventures, NTT Ventures that co-invested as venture funds, the remainder of our round was funded partially by Techstars and then, of course, by other key angels, uh, including like Forrest Key, Adam Brownstein, Brian Saab, and, of course, Greg Greeley, which was huge. Um, Greeley had actually gotten the opportunity to meet us because we had pitched to another venture fund that tends to co-invest with New Stack Ventures as well. The fund actually chose to pass on us, but Greeley himself was like, yeah, this is crazy. In the best case, there's so much opportunity for the problem that we're solving in the market that we're solving it. He just saw upside as we did. He's like, in the worst case scenario, you'll be an extremely profitable small business. And in the best case scenario, you'll be a household name. And I love those odds. That's the end of part one. Make sure to watch for part two 
where we will dig into the heart of being a black founder and hear what plans our founders have for 2021. We'd like to thank all our guests and our sponsor, Founders Live. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or simply go to foundersunfound forward slash listen to. That's listen, T-O. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Founders Unfound. This podcast was produced by Dan Kihanya. Social media and other promotion by Umama Marzouk. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.